Hey guys, welcome to another Bankless episode. We've got State of the Nation here for you today. David, we are talking about NFT mania today and what a perfect week to talk about it because it does feel like something's going on. Something big is going on with NFTs. I'm amazed at how fast NFTs have taken off and uh, to such heights so quickly. Pretty unbelievable. What are we going to be talking about today? Yeah, we actually had to completely reorg the schedule for the show today. We actually were going to have uh, Hayden from Uniswap, but we actually kicked him out uh, down the line for a future State of the Nation because this week is all about NFTs. It is NFT week. It was NFT week last week. It was NFT week the week before, and just the momentum behind NFTs has not stopped. So we are bringing a previous guest of the show, Andy8052, who is the founder of the Fractionalized platform, which fractionalizes NFTs, and his community manager at, Fra- at Fractional, uh, which is uh, who's called Adiz. Uh, and these guys are, uh, they both have their bios as NFT DGENs. Uh, and so they were both DeFi maximalists turned NFT maximalists. And so they have been paying attention to the NFT markets, which is what we need to figure out what the hell is going on in the world of NFTs. I I kind of feel like I need this episode, David, in my life, because I feel like somewhat of an NFT boomer. Do you know, like, like I've known about NFTs for a long time, hugely bullish on the asset class, but like, Mm -hmm. um, haven't really dug deep down the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Still can't wrap your head around it. Well, it's kind of hard, right? And you have to have a passion. So like, I'm looking at all of these markets on OpenSea and I'm trying to figure out, hey, you know, what's the next big project? How do you even evaluate these projects? What does it take? So I'm hoping to ask Andy and Dee's some of these questions uh, just to get them out of the way. You know, what's super cool here, David, is like um, with crypto, there are so many cohorts that have done really well, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, in the early stages, you had to make kind of bets on base monies like Bitcoin and ETH and do well that way. Then you had to be sort of a, a finance geek or maybe a developer and get in on sort of the DeFi boom, the DeFi frenzy, and all those booms continue, of course. But now this thing requires a, a different set of skills. Uh, it's a lot about you know art curation. How do you predict what's going to be the next mm-hmm. next big meme? It's going mm-hmm. to be the next successful art project. Like I haven't really worked out how to uh, develop skills in that space. So I'm really excited to explore this. Uh, before we get into the episode, we should talk about some announcements, some things that are coming to the Bankless Nation. The first is we got a new show, man, and it's hot. I just listened to it. Wait, this we morning. do? Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, it's it's great, and I, you know, I didn't do a pre-listen. I listened mm-hmm. to it at the same time everyone else in the Bankless community did it because you've kind of taken this project and developed it on your own. But guys, this is called Layer Zero, and this is a new Bankless show talking about what we talk about so often, which is the people layer, the community layer, the mm. culture layer of crypto, that layer zero that's behind every single crypto network in existence. And so you are doing like these uh, targeted interviews with key people in the space, not even key people, some, you know, just interesting people right. in the space and hearing their stories. So it's a different format for Bankless. You had... Um, like the original, I guess, the, the founder of Vitalik Buterin, which is Dimitri Buterin, <laughs> Vitalik's dad on the episode. Uh, and I listened to this all this morning, David, is absolutely fantastic. Well done on that. Uh, what else do you want to say about Layer Zero in that episode? 
Yeah, it, it definitely f- follows a much more free-flowing format. With every single Bankless episode or podcast, we have like a massive like agenda that we go through. And this is the exact opposite. There's no agenda. We just have a conversation. And because there's so many interesting people in crypto, that a free-flowing conversation is like always, almost always interesting, right? And so first episode, like you said, is it with Dimitri Buderin. I have two more episodes that I've already recorded. Eric Connor is coming out next week, followed by Justin Drake. And each episode has gotten better and better already. Um, I I particularly loved both of those conversations. Uh, Each person has their own kind of like perspective about the world and about crypto that they everyone has like ideas and thoughts that are unique to them. But then when it comes to the world of crypto podcasts, like we have to talk about like your project and we have to talk about fundamentals behind assets and we have to talk about, you know, technical details. David, stop making fun of our other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any of that on this show. I want to, th- to hear about like what people think about when they close their laptop lid and actually like turn off. Um, uh, yesterday I recorded with Justin Drake, who actually... Uh, there, there came this moment in this podcast where he uh, was just thinking, it's like, well, I don't really know when this podcast episode is going to come out. So I don't know if I want to leak any alpha. And I said, well, this doesn't come out for three more weeks, Justin. So like go right ahead. Uh, and what he said was absolutely fantastic. It has, has to do with MEV and ultrasound money. So that's cool. But then we also talked, you know, a fun fact about Justin Drake is like, he, he's, he's got a kid and like, you can see a lot of like Justin Drake in the kid, according to Justin Drake, obviously. But then you can also connect like that to the rebellious nature of Justin Drake to the rebellious nature of Ethereum at large, which is kind of the whole point of the show. Yeah, I, th- I think it's cool. It's not just the, the free for- form conversation. I think that's a huge part of it, but it's also the different set of questions mm-hmm. that are asked on the show. It's like more about, tell me about your story. Like, how did you meet Vitalik's mom was a question mm-hmm. you asked. Mm-hmm. That's not a question we would right. ask on a typical podcast. Or like, uh, do you fear for Vitalik's safety? A pretty crazy question, but like, I'm intensely curious about that. Or how often, Dimitri Buterin, do you check the price of ETH? So anyway, <laughs> this is all really interesting content, new ground, uh, exciting show. It comes out every Tuesday morning. We're going to have this, I think every Tuesday morning, hopefully, mm-hmm. as long as yep. David has it in him uh, to do this. And uh, it'll come out on the podcast and also YouTube. So make sure you are subscribing to both of those channels to check that out. Uh, the other thing we should mention before we get into the show is our friends at Tracer Dow. They're doing two cool things that are about to be absolutely huge. One is DeFi Perpetuals, which haven't yet taken off in the space yet, but are about to. I think Perpetuals are huge everywhere else. They're about to be big in DeFi. They're building a Perpetuals product for this, allow you to go short and long on assets like ETH or DeFi tokens really easily, super cool. Uh, and they are launching a DAO and they have a DAO. Uh, so they are inviting members of the Bankless community listeners to the podcast to get involved in their DAO as a contributor, as a governor. You guys, you can do that by joining their Discord. Discord is kind of like the, the office <laughs> for DAOs, right? Like that's how you mm-hmm. go into the office and you know put up your hand and say, here I am, I'm a worker, I can do things. So go check that out. Um, there will be a link in Discord for that. All right. Those are announcements. David, I got to ask you the question we start every episode of State of the Nation with, which is this. What is the state of the nation today, sir? The state of the nation is manic. We are a little bit manic right now. Uh, like we said, asset NFT asset prices are all up and to the right. Almost every single one of them that like has the, the any decent amount of attention. Most art block projects, most like profile picture NFTs, like 
all of these things have like insane charts with like whatever few available charts that there are to actually chart these things. Um, people are, are buying into these things regardless of like whether they're what they were previously interested in. It seems to be like the entire attention of the crypto industry has focused on NFTs right now. And people are kind of like fervorous right now. So there's a little bit, uh, we're all a little bit manic. The thing is like, you can be a little bit manic, but we can all get a lot more manic. And so that's kind of what we're talking about on the show today is like, how much juice does this thing have? And can we actually turn this like, you know, crypto industry into or this like crypto native phenomenon into a global phenomenon? Uh, maybe that's what's coming. And that's kind of the conversation I want to have today. These are very much my questions as well. And, and also the effect of NFTs on the broader crypto landscape. So, um, you know, we've, we've talked so much about ETH being money. And uh, DC investor and others have have uh, said, "Hey, ETH is now culture money. Essentially, that's what you're buying when you're buying NFTs. You're buying a piece of internet culture, a piece of crypto culture, and it's all denominated in ETH. So, what other effects does um, the the mania of NFTs have on crypto markets that remains to be seen as well. Hopefully we'll explore those topics today. Guys, stick with us. We will be back with Andy and Dees in just a minute. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi. If you've been using Ethereum for the past 12 months, you've probably noticed the high gas fees and the slow confirmation times that have been plaguing DeFi. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. That's where Arbitrum comes in. Arbitrum is a layer two to Ethereum, which means Arbitrum can increase Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what you are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and overall make a better experience for your users, go to developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps building on Arbitrum. Arbitrum has been working with over 300 teams, including Ethereum's top infrastructure projects, and will be opening up to all users shortly. There are so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so you may want to pack your bags in preparation for the great migration to Arbitrum Layer 2. To get up to speed with Arbitrum, follow them on Twitter at Arbitrum and join their Discord. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Hey guys, we are back full swing. This is NFT Mania, JPEG Mania. 
we've got two really great guests for you to talk all about NFTs. Make sense of the markets, what's going on. Hopefully explore some project and see what's good out there in the space. The first is Andy8052. He's a DeFi DGen turned into an NFT maximalist. And not lately, he's been an NFT maximalist for quite some time. He's known as the guy with the uh, CryptoPunk with the beanie. And he's also the founder of Fractionalize. That's a platform for fractionalizing NFTs into ERC-20 tokens so you can gain liquidity on them. We've had Andy on before. Congrats on the, la- the raise, by the way, the Paradigm raise, 8 million, I think, or so. Uh, Andy, it's great to have you back on Bankless. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. I feel like so much has happened in so little time since I was on last. Right? It's been crazy. <laughs> yeah, we got to we gotta get caught up on what is happening in NFTs. We also have uh, Deez or Deezy. He's a degenerate shitcoin shit gambler who got into NFTs. Again, coming from the DeFi space, getting into NFTs. He got into them in September 2020. Then he went all in in January 2021. Sounds like my story with Bitcoin and ETH, but he's got one for uh, DeFi and NFTs. And then he's currently the community manager at Fractional, and he's the host of many Twitter space uh, spaces on NFTs. You may have heard he, he does like four to six hours, like eight hours a day on Twitter spaces, just talking about NFTs. Uh, I need to catch one of these. Dees, it's great to have you as well. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, man. Well, everyone's excited about NFTs these days. And uh, I think when David and I started the summer with Bankless, we thought we were going to get some kind of a, a layer two summer, like a DeFi summer round two. But instead, we got JPEG summer. That's what's happening. And maybe that rolls into a, a, an NFT mania, a JPEG mania into the fall. I don't know. This doesn't show any signs of stopping or slowing down, at least right now. I want to start with the, the big picture question. How did this happen? How did we get to this point? Andy, what's your take? I mean, like a lot of it is really who the hell knows. Um, but I, I, I <laughs> yes. think I think a part of it that has become like more clear to me is, uh, you know, there there's so much culture and community, like especially on Ethereum. That's where almost all the NFT trading happens. And there's such like a, a valuable community of people on Ethereum who are doing things and interacting and like, it makes sense that they would have their own natural ways to collect things together or signal their success or their status. And like that would start to leak out into the rest of the world as Ethereum starts to leak out into the rest of the world. And so that's kind of how I've been like, how I've been thinking about more of the origin of why now, why is this happening is I feel like personally over the last year and a half, as I've been working on Ethereum, things have kind of taken a jump in as far as DeFi and just kind of the global status of crypto. And so it makes sense that the collecting side of things would also grow. And when those types of things grow, they grow really fast. DZ, what's your take on why this is happening? You think it was inevitable all along? Like we're going to get an NFT mania season and this is just inevitable? Or is there some specific reason for the the timing of this and uh, the magnitude of it? Yeah, so I didn't expect any of this to to happen the way it did, right? Like when I was buying punks and art blocks and pegs and having an investment thesis like my best case scenario was that like the prices they're at right now was going to take like a year or two to get to so the fact that it happened so quickly has even you know blown my own expectations i think it's a a variety of things number one like nfts are just fun plain and simple and it is a very low entry playground for people to come in and get involved um you can with very little money mint a project and potentially change your entire life 
off of one rare mint. And you can't do that with a shit coin. Like you can't 100x a shit coin in a week. Like there's no way you're going to get dumped on by whales. There's no chance. But you're seeing a lot of people come in with a small stack who just want to ape stuff. And I think there was a lull. Um, if you look at like the Ethereum and Bitcoin charts, pull it up here. But like in June and July, um, Ethereum, you know, is kind of pretty like from May, actually, um, into June, we had the Sotheby's auction, which gave a lot of credibility to these NFTs. Ethereum wasn't doing much of anything. DeFi and shit coins are kind of just slowly ranging and people are bored and they want to do something. So like, I, I know a lot of my DeFi friends didn't get in NFTs until like June and July because they were bored and it was enough for them to just say, hey, let's, you know, look at these punks and art blocks. And I think it's almost reflexive where like people make money, they come in and they don't take the money out. They just invest it into the next project. And we're seeing this, you know, massive reflexivity where <laughs> NFTs are just taking off. And like you said, we are in this manic phase. Like, is this, this could even be euphoria. Like we might look back in two months and be like, what were we thinking? Like, <laughs> Fidenzas are selling for $3 I'm thinking that now. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I, I'm always like, you know, telling myself right now, like, do I have enough Ethereum that I'm happy? Like I'm selling NFTs every day just to make sure I have enough Ethereum that I'm happy where if this is like the euphoric top, then I'm good. But I'm still, you know, overly optimistic. And I still think people coming in are like early in a way. And this might be just like the beginning of the end. Or wait, I mean, wait. sorry, the end of the beginning. How much, Ethereum do, you, how much Ethereum do you need to be happy? Because I'm still. Um, I think it's, that that's, a, that's a tough question. I mean, it's relative <laughs> to your net worth and your goals. For me, I need uh, enough Ethereum to like. <laughs> I, I need like thirty to fifty percent of my portfolio in Ethereum to be happy. We'll just say that. Geez, you, you I'm said not there right now. Yeah, there's never enough either. That's that's for sure. Um, Dees, you said that like. Uh, people were perhaps minting these things because in, in contrast to buying a shit coin that like can't pump a thousand X because you'll get dumped on. And in contrast, you can just mint a, a token, which has by definition, no previous sellers, no like privileged, you know, early minters. No, there's no, you know, NFT pre-mine. And that kind of re is reminiscent of some of the DeFi summer activities, which kicked off that whole DeFi uh, mania because of the whole fair launch phenomenon. Like, the whole like food coin forks, those are all like very much fair launch phenomenons. Do you think that that is a common denominator between what we saw uh, with DeFi summer in 2020 and what we're seeing in, in JPEG summer right now? Yeah, I think you're pretty spot on there. It's having fair distribution and a low barrier of entry. Um, even then, like if you were a whale, you could get a lot of the liquidity from liquidity mining where right now, if you're a whale trying to mint a bunch of these projects like you're gonna get them but you're gonna pay a ton in gas um and i think it's harder to like really dilute the uh like you you could really dilute a liquidity pool right if you have a hundred million dollars and there's 25 million in the pool and you dump the hundred million and like you just diluted the crap out of everyone who's in there whereas like with something where there's only 8,888 mints or 10,000 mints you can't really dilute it to that level mm -hmm. so it's, it's even more like upside than DeFi summer what would you yeah. guys say that, uh, Andy, go ahead if you want to say something. Uh, no, I, I would agree. I think that it's like, it's kind of all the best parts of DeFi summer in so much as like there's really high upside and there's a lot of value in like just scrolling Twitter and Discord and Telegram and finding the next thing to, to buy. But then you just have like these added benefits that aren't really possible in a DeFi token where 
like one, you can be emotionally attached to your NFTs. Like I, I love DeFi and that whole space. At the end of the day, like if I have to sell my maker for Ave or my comp for ETH, like, okay, you know, it's whatever, but like, I love my CryptoPunk and I don't want to sell it. And it doesn't really matter what the price is. And that's just like not a thing that really exists with, with DeFi stuff. I, I definitely resonate with that because there was there was a time I bought my uh, my penguin avatar at like roughly 0.4 ETH and now the floor is at 0.2 ETH. You know, good trade, good appreciation. But like because it's unique and because I've put it as my profile picture and also to some degree because I'm a little bit of a, of a public figure, like I would feel bad about like letting my penguin go. Like I would let the community down. I, my, I don't know who would buy my penguin. I want my penguin. And so it does kind of feel like there's a one way flow of like capital into these NFTs. And then like the emotional attachment like sucks you in and captures you. And it's like now it's stuck there. And then that actually kind of yeah. sets like a, a floor for some of these things. Yeah, definitely. I almost feel like a lot of these NFTs are like almost deflationary in a way mm. because you have people who are just totally not price sensitive. I think there was this guy, Vincent Vando, who's a, a really big collector. And he tweeted out something the other day that I thought was really good where he said, you know, this isn't like a quick flip. This is a land grab. And like to him, he doesn't care what the price is. He doesn't care what the price is now. Like he's buying stuff because he thinks that it's going to matter in 10 years. Mm. And so like when you have a bunch of people who are doing that, all of a sudden there just isn't quite enough to go around sometimes. What would you guys say is the like starting pistol for this whole thing? Because like we we talked about uh, previously the NFT bear market, but like in in retro in retrospect, turns out like that is exactly what you said, Andy. It was actually an NFT land grab. Do you think that there was like a, like a moment where this like thing actually started? Was there like a starting pistol to anything? So I think that like the start start of all of it was actually uh, two things that are now like not doing it, I haven't gone nearly as parabolic as everything else, which is NBA Top Shot and Nifty Gateway. Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of like, and maybe I'm wrong and you can really dig into the data and this is incorrect, but based on my naive thesis, you had a bunch of people who were not into crypto, but who got into NFTs in a very easily accessible way. And this was, you know, back in the fall of last year. So almost a year ago at this point, and they were paying with credit cards. They weren't really having to, to learn too much. But once you do it and you're actually like experiencing an online all the time liquid marketplace and all this fun stuff, you kind of want to learn more. And I think a lot of people did. I, I made a lot of friends through Topshot, especially who did want to learn more. And I was teaching them how to install MetaMask and what CryptoPunks were and why they would want to buy one and all this stuff. And then a lot of those people came and they set up MetaMask and did all that. And then they minted Bored Apes. And then Bored Apes went crazy. And like I've, I've seen a, long, a strong correlation on my timeline, at least of people who used to be NBA Top Shot fanatics who have board apes as their profile pictures now. And all of a sudden this was like a massive wealth generation event for an entirely new group of NFT collectors who are generally coming from a less crypto native background. So would you say, Ryan and I, we often critique Flow and Top Shots as kind of being like fraudulent NFTs because they're done on a centralized blockchain. So are they really NFTs? And that's a conversation for a different day. But uh, would you agree with the statement that like these uh, non-Ethereum based NFT platforms that perhaps more uh, centralized were actually like training wheels for people to come into the world of NFTs and then perhaps graduate to like the real, uh, the real NFT market, which is Ethereum? I definitely have seen that. I'd be curious to hear Jesus' perspective because he was on Top Shot as well pretty early on. But I've noticed that with a lot of people who I've interacted with. I, I would agree with 
everything you just said. Um, for me, I feel like the starting, you know, the gunshot was um, in mid-January when John Bales sent out that article that said, I just spent $35,000 on a JPEG or a, 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 whatever it was. He's talking about the John Morant moment he bought. And like a week later, an alien crypto punk sold to Flamingo Dow. Um, and that was when I was like, oh, holy shit, here they come. Because I was involved with the daily fantasy scene a little bit. I was a low stakes player who like could grind and make a little bit of money, but I wasn't great. And seeing guys like John Bales and Peter Jennings and all these other daily fantasy personalities come in, like I knew that was a really bullish sign because these are people like Andy said, we didn't see them on Ethereum. We didn't see them using any of our tools until after they got that like first, I, I probably used the wrong terminology, but I call like an NFT flip. It's almost like a hit of crack. Like, if you buy a top shot and it goes up 10x in a week, you're thinking to yourself, like, holy shit, like I need I need more of this. So then when Top Shot kind of died, like Andy said, they're like, Oh, we gotta find this next hit. Like it's not Top Shot. Like this is not like not dying, but this is going down and people aren't excited about it. Like, what else is out there? People came into punks who could afford it. We saw a nice little run up. We see the Christie's auction come out, kind of lends legitimacy to punks when you have an auction house that's like, hey. We're displaying this with a basking on it and all these other famous artists. And this is a crypto punk. Um, and then we had the Sotheby's set of like art blogs and the COVID alien punk and like 20 other NFTs. And I think that just kind of put a stamp on the whole NFT marketplace. Like this is legit. This is here to stay. And slowly but surely, we started to see like traditional art collectors come into the space after those auctions. So like from June up until now, you know, people buying these art blocks and deaf beeps and punks, like they're not as many crypto native people as you think. I, I think there's a lot of people who are just coming in now who didn't even touch DeFi summer last year, didn't get involved with Ethereum until seeing these NFT auctions and are now buying it up because to them, it's like a couple hundred grand on a piece of art's a deal. Um, they look at things with 10 plus time horizons, like Andy said about the land grab. It's just like, what's the total supply of these? Like if you met Picasso when he was 30 and you knew that he was only going to ever make 10,000 pieces and they were already made and you could grab a slice right now, like you might think differently than if they're constantly supplying more and more. And I think all of that is just like driving the prices up basically. These you're, you're touching on the subject I want to turn to next. And so I, I kind of want you to expand on that. But when, when Ryan and I were in the intro and at the very beginning, we were talking about like, Hey, we're kind of like just confused. Like, People are spending money on all these JPEGs. Like, we've never spent money on JPEGs before. Like, what's going on? And so, like, we're coming from the DeFi world, right? Where, like, we have these capital assets with, you know, cash flows, total value locked. There are things that we can measure that make us feel more secure about when we allocate capital to exposure to some sort of DeFi token. Uh, and so, like, to some degree, NFTs don't have any fundamentals, right? Because they're just pictures. Is that really true or are the fundamentals just something else that we haven't really learned yet? So when you guys are looking at NFT projects, like, are there any fundamentals to talk about, uh, regardless of like what kind of the project is? Like, what are the common like things that are always like fundamentally like bullish or bearish about like an NFT project that you guys pay attention to? This is going to sound like super not quantitative, but like it's mostly vibes. Like I go into the discord, I talk to the team. I'm a big fan of trying to get the team on a Twitter space and just like pick their brain and ask about all their plans and, you know, where have they come from and where they think they're going. 
I think right now we see a lot of success with like punks and art blocks because similar to what you said, there's a bunch of comparables there. If you go to the punks page, you look at 10,000 punks, you look at all the recent sales, you look at trait breakdowns, you look at all these different comparables and you feel somewhat safe throwing 250 to a million dollars into a punk because you're like, oh, well, these two just sold and they look just like it and they sold for that amount. So they must be worth this amount. Uh, and similar with art blocks, like you have the different comparables, like you're looking at a set of ringers or a set of fedenzas and you're like, okay, well, other collectors are valuing at this amount. Like clearly there's something here. And I think we haven't seen that spill over to the 101 art yet. So like, if you look at like X copy, Hackatel, Coldy, some of these OG super rare artists, their prices haven't moved nearly as much as like art blocks, like art blocks might be up a thousand X and like, you know, X copy might be up five X. Um, so it's a big gap. And I think that's because the people coming in, like you said, they just don't know what they're evaluating. So they feel more comfortable buying something with comparables. Yeah, definitely. I've noticed that as well. And I think it's just like scary. Like as someone, I don't really have a ton of one of one art. I have a little bit just because purely I like it and I have absolutely no intention of selling it. If it goes up a ton, awesome. Um, but like, I don't feel super qualified to decide what art is good and what art isn't good. It's never really been something that I've thought about in my life previously. And so looking at different projects that are more community driven or like Dave was saying, have tons of comparables in our collection, it just feels a lot easier. It's kind of like training wheels in, in a way of, of how to collect art. Um, and so, yeah, I, th I think that that like is currently driving a lot of how people are making their purchasing decisions. But then as far as fundamentals outside of that, I think a lot of it, it's as silly as vibes, is like it's kind of just all memes and it's all just, you know, the value is in the cultural relevance of the things that you are buying. And if you think that those things will be more relevant in the future than they are now, then they'll probably be worth more money than they are now. Uh, and it's hard to quantify that. But are you guys worried that like the structure of this market is like almost super duper conducive to creating a mania? Dees was saying like, well, if like my punk looks like this and their punk looks like that, well, I can probably get this from that. Meanwhile, there's probably someone else who's doing the same thing. It's like, well, their punk is like this and my punk's like this. So I could probably get this for that. And all of a sudden, like kind of like we were talking about the, the inherent, like kind of one way flow of capital. It feels like people are just going to stair step their way into insane evaluations. And almost by definition, that has to just be a bubble, right? Like if it's only one, if it's only up only, then at some point, like something's going to pop, right? Are you, are, do you guys kind of think that this is just a little bit too conducive to be becoming a, like a massive bubble? Yeah. Well, so I think yes, but also kind of no, uh, which is a weird answer. But so I think in general, yes, NFTs are in a bubble right now. Like obviously when, whether how far up in the bubble we are, I'm not really qualified to say, but I, I think that everyone would agree they are in a bubble, but really the question is, the really high end of NFTs, like the extremely desirable stuff. We don't know what percentage of people who are buying those are buying them purely for speculation or are buying them because they're saying, I don't want to have there be a world where I don't own a punk or I don't own a Fidenza. And those people probably don't care about the mania or what price they're buying it at. So like I have a Fidenza that I was lucky to get at pretty cheap. And I, unless it got to a price that was really insane, I'm just not going to sell it. I don't care. I, I want to have one. I'm ordering the print and I want to have it on my wall. And that's like an important part of like Ethereum history for me and, and my time working in Ethereum and, and the price isn't really as relevant. And I am by no means 
the wealthiest art collector around in the uh, in the NFT space. And so I think that there's you know a non-trivial amount of people who are buying this stuff, especially the really high-end stuff, are in positions where the amount of money they're spending isn't totally relevant. And it's just kind of knowing what percentage of people is that. And then whenever a bubble does pop, what's the floor at that point? And really we have no idea, but you know, if there's 10,000 punks and 10,000 apes and a couple thousand really, really valuable art blocks, not that many pieces of art to collect. And so whatever that floor is might be, might be, we're already past it. It might be a lot higher. It's really hard to say. Is any color on that? trying to to pull up nansen to look at art blocks real quick but um what what i've seen is similar to what annie said like a lot of these collectors they're buying these nfts and it's a drop in the bucket to them like if they need to liquidate anything to have money in real life like the nfts aren't first they're last and if you look at the top holders of art blocks i was going to nansen but i don't have it up right now like i can remember from last week when I was looking at it, like out of the top 100 holders of art blocks, these people aren't even selling them. Like you can look at the seven day flow and see like, is it incoming or outgoing and how much? And it's like the most I saw was some guy who sold 25 and most people were around like selling five to 10. And that's like, they own 200 plus. <laughs> and it's like kind of wild that like, if they minted all these and are sitting on a thousand X plus, and they're just thinking to themselves like, oh, let me shave off like, my least favorite things and hold on to what's best and like i don't think they're gonna sell what's best period especially someone like snowfro who has the most art blocks he has his stuff in a vault he has to drive a thousand miles to unlock the vault he just went through a whole big opsec thread where he explained like his reasoning behind this but um <laughs> these people aren't selling and like andy said there's not that much of a supply if there's ten thousand punks there's like three thousand holders right now um, there's 10,000 apes, there's like what, 5,500 maybe holders. And then art blocks, there's, I think a little over 10,000 holders, but there's a lot more supply there, but there's not that much, like that's still not a lot. Um, it's still, it feels insane to say that given the price action, but it's still not crazy to me yet. So, uh, what I'm really curious guys is, like I, I, I'm kind of approaching this space as, as somewhat of a, a, a noob at this stage and like trying to figure out how to evaluate um, what a good NFT looks like or what a good NFT like class looks like. And I think um, similar to what she said, Dee's like, what's interesting about this, maybe it's early stage mania, we don't know, but the wealthiest people in the world um, aren't in crypto, at least not yet. And like, What's really interesting is, is seeing people come from outside of the crypto community and start to enter into NFTs, right? Like, look at this. This is a uh, Visa news. Visa just <laughs> bought this punk, a crypto punk. Visa, Visa has a crypto punk profile picture, right? I mean, not on my, you know, list, my bingo card for 2021. <clears throat> we got Odell Beckham. Uh, he's got a crypto punk right? From the Lakers. So like people are starting to recognize and legitimize the uh, culture that crypto is really building. And that's a, that's kind of a unique phenomenon. But what I, what I want to get my head wrapped around is um, if I'm new to the NFT world, and I'm trying to evaluate like what I should buy. I'm curious about this space and what I should buy. What do I look at? Right? So he here I am on OpenSea, for instance, 
And maybe we should talk about like two classes of NFTs. The first is sort of the, uh, the avatar style of NFTs that have been like, it seems to me anyway, uh, super hot. You know, the, the crypto punks, the bored apes uh, of the world, the pudgy penguins, uh, the, the me bits, these types of things. They, they have um, a ton of surface area by definition. Yeah. So let's talk about these first. So, I mean, if I'm like just on OpenSea looking at a project, um, how do I evaluate like which crypto punk I should buy or even like which category of project I should buy in the, in the avatar class? I mean, let's say I'm somebody who, I mean, crypto punks are already established, you know, they're high end, I'm not in the market. I, I, I want to get in on maybe the next like pudgy penguin or, or, or something cool like that. Um, how do I go to OpenSea or various websites and tools and evaluate what I should buy? Um, like take me through the 101. What are your thoughts here, Andy? Well, I think this isn't something that I do a ton, but I know other people do it is that they will just go to whales wallets and look at what they own, look at what's been newly added to the site. And you have to be careful and look at what they've actually purchased and not what people have just like sent them. Um, but that is something that I've heard people do relatively consistently. Um, outside of that, I think that being just like really active on Twitter is probably the best place and having a group of people who you really trust uh, where if they say, hey, I saw this thing, it comes out tomorrow. I think it has a, a, a good shot. Uh, just you know, mint a couple of them if you if you have the ability to. It's probably your best course of action, and you're not going to hit on every one. I have a bunch of like random garbage in my in my OpenSea that uh, didn't didn't pan out, but then I have ones that that did pan out that I've done I've done well. Um, and so I think that that if if you're purely just doing it because you want to like have your best chance at hitting something good, that's probably your best course of action. But honestly, what I think is most important, and generally what I do is just buy stuff that I like. And just, there's really something at like every price point. And there's so many of these little, you know, sub communities that have grown around these different profile picture projects. Uh, and there isn't quite as much address overlap as you would guess. There's definitely a lot, but there isn't quite as much like address ownership overlap as you would kind of expect in these, all these different projects. And I kind of think of it like different, like Twitch subscribers or subreddits or something where there's probably enough people in the world to support a bunch of different profile picture projects, not all at the same price point. And you're going to have punks and board apes that are kind of the, the upper echelon of these things. But if you have a, a thousand people who all really love your random profile picture project, it probably will still be fine as long as everyone who's, who's in it, like actually is in it because they love the artwork and they love the community and you're doing something fun. And so I think that's really more important than almost anything because then at the end of the day, you're happy that you have it because you like it and not just because you think that there's a good chance that it goes up 100x. So so definitely buy something you like, but like I'm on this list here and this is, you know, we're, we're down a little bit on trading volume of OpenSea. There's something called the uh, Cyber Kongs and then there's like Cool Cats. You know, like, so what's the difference between a Cyber Kong and a, and a Cool Cat? Andy, are, are you telling me I should just click through and look at the, the Cyber Kongs and be like, uh, you know, I like... I, select one I, the ones I like, or is there, is there more to it? Because some of these avatar projects have not picked up and others have. Um, is it as simple as just let your, let your tastes kind of dictate and get in early? I don't know if it's that simple. Uh, I would 
backtrack a second here and say like if you're trying to make the most money possible i think it's plus ev to mint most things and i think what andy said about finding a group is very important twitter is great um but there's a lot of noise and sometimes if you don't have like specifically curated lists it's hard to separate a lot of uh signal from that noise if you can just make a discord of like 10 to 50 people who are interested in doing this and working together you guys can move mountains. Like it reminds me of Uniswap summer where I was in a telegram with 50 dudes watching the Uniswap new listing bot. And it's a very similar thing with these NFTs where it's like, oh, this is coming out today. Like, what are we minting guy? Like, what do you see? And they might share a few things. And if I like the art on any of them, I'll mint, you know, between one and 20. Um, but I think what Andy said too, is like, you kind of have to like the art at the end of the day, because if you get stuck with this and you see it in your wallet, it looks horrible you're gonna ask yourself like why did i blow you know five grand or ten grand on this um something like kongs they're a little more in depth right like there's genesis kongs you could get a genesis kong and it yields banana and then you use banana to breed baby kongs and they all show up under the cyber kongs thing so when you're looking at it you're wondering like why are some of these kongs 50 ethereum and selling and the baby kong at two ethereum isn't selling so like you do have to know the different mechanics of how these projects work um, cool cats was one where like I talked to the guy he said he's been making the cat for on and off 10 years like you can go look at his Instagram and go back and he's literally drawing different types of the blue cat and when I heard that it's like you know this guy has a history with the cat it's not like he just came in and was like how do I make uh, an avatar project for people to buy but he was more concerned about like oh this is perfect for me to build a community around this cat that I love and that's the type of thing, like, I have two cats I love, and I probably won't ever sell them because I just want to see what they do with them. Um, whereas, like, you know, I might want to sell other things quicker because I'm like, oh, here's a hype event that's going to drive volume, and this is a good time for me to get out. So, like, I look at my different bags with different mindsets like that. I really want to drive the point home about only buying something that you really like uh, because – that's uh, when we were earlier talking about how this like market is just a one way flow of, of money. The way that this thing stays rational and doesn't get over its ski tips is if every participant is only buying stuff that they like, right? If you only buy, so like it's more about like items that you, trinkets that you find in a store that you're willing to part with your dollars with and then you take it home and it lives on your shelf for the rest of your life. If you are buying, if you're going into the store and you're like saying, hey, I want every single trinket that you have, give them all to me. It's because you're trying to resell them later and you're, you're playing the, the greater fool's theory. And so like there's a, a, a greater fool's like valuation thesis. And so there's some sort of like level of having like responsible exposure and responsible risk management by only buying the things that you like. Uh, because like Andy said earlier, if it goes to zero, like no, like if it goes to zero, you still have it on your shelf and you still like it. Like, I'm sure you would have liked it a little bit more if it, if it wasn't at zero, but at least you still have the thing. And so maybe, maybe some of the best advice that we can give is like, if you are thinking about getting exposure to NFTs because you are, have this FOMO about this like market that's going on, uh, you don't have to FOMO in, you just have to find something that looks cute. And to some degree, that's kind of why I personally really like penguins. Like the penguins are just cute. They're just cute little buddies. Uh, and like, and that's kind of the fundamentals. And so if you're playing the game of NFTs, you want to buy something that you like that you also kind of think other people will like too if you want to actually have adequate exposure. Any, any thoughts, thoughts on that, Andy? I totally agree. And I think, you know, like 
I have it, like I said, I have NFTs that I bought that I probably can never sell for more than I bought them for, but I like them. And one day I'll, when I have a nice digital display, I'll display them in my house and I think they look sick and that's awesome. And then I have other stuff where it's like, oh, I, you know, I've been very picky with, with avatar projects that I've, that I've minted and, and bought over the last couple of months as that like whole space is really heated up. And there's some that I think don't look great and I don't really care about them. And I, and I don't really want to have them after I've had some experiences in the past where I have others sitting in my wallet that I now have hidden on my OpenSea profile. And so I'd rather just stick with the stuff where I'm like, oh, that looks, that looks really cool. And, and it's funny, or I can make a meme out of it, or I can send it to my girlfriend and she can think it's funny. And like that to me is very important when I'm trying to decide this stuff at this point, because at the end of the day, if, if all I cared about was like a safe plus bet, I probably wouldn't just be like aping into random avatar projects. I think uh, using the perspective of um, getting a digital display to uh, illustrate your NFTs, do you want that NFT up on your wall? Like should be a good like litmus test for, for whether or not like people should like press the button on their ledger to buy that NFT. There's something though, there's something it appears to me very uh, mimetic here, right? And by, by that, I, I'm talking about <clears throat> our Luke Burgess episode about mm -hmm. mimetic desire, which is like... It's, it's not just, to me anyway, again, you guys are deeper into NFTs than I am, but it's not just like, I want this M NFT, <clears throat> excuse me, because I like it. It's also, am I the type of person to buy a CryptoPunk, right? Which is, it, which is not just an individual, do I like the pixels that form this CryptoPunk image? It's also about embracing the group collective culture, right? And so like, uh, you have to almost answer that question. Do I want to be part of the MeBits Club or the Board Apes Club or the people who are into CryptoPunks? Or am I a different sort of individual? It's like, it's like a, a social self-actualization type of decision. And there's something like deep and cultural hidden about how we mimic other human beings and associate in, in social groups. I wonder if you could talk about the social dynamics of this. Uh, Dees, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually had like two things I wanted to touch on from the, the last point too. And that is uh, going back to what Andy said, buying what he wants to display. I think like virtual galleries are gonna take off a lot more. I have a lot of fun building in on cyber and gallery.so. And I think like, I don't even think I'll have a lot of this stuff in my house. It'll just be in virtual galleries I build and other people visit. And the other advice I would give is like, buy things in pairs. Um, don't just buy one of a pudgy penguin or one cool cat because it makes the decision of parting with one of them when it's your only one way harder. It's a lot easier if you buy in pairs and you sell your lesser of the two after a price movement to feel like, good, I locked in profit. It's all good. And not like, oh, I just sold my only punk and I might not ever be able to get it back. Um, but yeah, going on the mimetic desire and like culture in these communities, I, I think you're right. I thought a lot about punks. Um, I don't know if anyone here played like RuneScape growing up, but if you did, you're well aware of the party hat items. They came out in 2002, limited supply. They're given out for free. And over time, those party hats are still the most valuable items in the game. <laughs> and I looked at punks thinking like the same line of reasoning, like, holy shit, these are going to be like the new party hats. But yeah. instead of just mattering in RuneScape, it's going to matter for the entire crypto ecosystem because the culture of the ecosystem wants to show off wealth in a crypto native way. They don't want to go buy Basquiat or Picasso and put it behind them so that when they're on a live stream, you can see it. 
they want to show off with a crypto native flex. And I bought my first punk at like a thousand or 1250 bucks. And I didn't like at the time know much about the punk community at all. I just had known like, wow, these are really limited. And I think these are going to have like, these are going to behave like the party hat market behave. Um, so that was like kind of my take on the mimetic desire. Like people don't know they want these yet because they don't see other people displaying them and they don't know like, like mimetic desire to me is like, you don't know what you want until you see what other people want and then you copy their taste. Exactly. So if you can have a little bit of foresight and be the taste maker rather than the taste follower, you can maybe have an impact on that mimetic desire in the future. Yeah, that's really insightful comments. And I definitely appreciate the, uh, the RuneScape reference and actually so did the, uh, the YouTube chat as well. Uh, guys, we have to talk about like one of the, the the biggest star of this show, which is the whole art blocks phenomenon and generative art. And overall, I really think like if we are on the cusp of some NFT mania, what gets me really, really excited is that if we inject a bunch of capital into digital art, like at some point that flows right into like good innovation. And that's kind of what I am seeing with the art blocks phenomenon. So we're going to get to that conversation next, but first I'm gonna rug pull everyone and send us into our second round of sponsors. So here we go. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you are getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commission. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your order across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy to use platform and that has even saved me multiple times from accidentally picking the wrong decks to trade on and accidentally getting a bad price. Matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp so you can purchase crypto directly with your you can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity. When you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz/bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys. Not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the Bankless Nation already have their Ledger hardware wallets, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger Live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite dApps all in one place, Ledger is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into decentralized exchange aggregators like Paraswap, which makes sure that you are getting the best prices on your trades without your assets ever leaving your control. DeFi never stops growing and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has and stay tuned as more and more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab your ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your dApps all in one place. All right, guys, we are back with the state of the nation, the state of NFTs, the state of the NFT mania. And I actually want to turn the conversation to art blocks because um, I'm really excited if this is indeed a big, big bull market that we have ahead of us. It's already a bull market. 
Uh, but if there's more ahead of us, inevitably what bull markets incentivize is innovation. And one of the big things that we've really seen, like almost the star of the NFT show, at least in the last few months, has been art blocks. And to me, the innovation behind art blocks is the whole phenomenon of generative art. Um, can you guys kind of just extrapolate and expand on how you, what, what role you've seen art blocks fill in the world of, of this growing NFT bull market? Like what is art blocks? Why is it so cool? Why do people like them? Andy, let's start with you. Yeah, so... I was actually like a bit later to Artblocks than probably Dee's was and some others, uh, mostly just because I'm not actually that good at all of this. <laughs> uh, that's really the main thing, I think. Um, but so Artblocks is, for anyone who's not aware, a generative art platform. They have three different places where you can release your generative art. The most popular being Artblocks Curated, which is an invite-only drop system. Uh, so far, I believe they've had 32 different drops on there so far. So maybe 33, something like that. Um, and yeah, you see a hundred thousand Ethereum in volume on, on OpenSea for it. It's highly desirable. Uh, and so each art blocks project on there, uh, you know, has a very different look and feel. And there's a bunch created by different artists. Uh, I think a couple artists have done multiple. I'm not totally sure though. And yeah, so they're all generatively done through, um, a programming language it's called like ps something uh, i don't know i'm not definitely not an expert in that by any means uh and it's loaded up into a smart contract and then when people mint it generates the art for them at the time of mint and so like personally i think that's super cool because it's something that would be hard to replicate in the real world uh because you have like this provable chain of everything that happened and how you got to the point where your art was generated that uh definitely is a value add in my opinion which i think makes it super interesting um, and yeah, so that's been some of like the biggest sales have been like the Fidenzas and, uh, Chromie squiggles and ringers. It's, it's pretty insane. These can probably add more color. Yeah. D's, yeah. I, um, I found art blocks. My friend Trill told me about them in December of 2020 and I'm into a couple of squiggles and I was pretty addicted because it's kind of a mixture of, um, marrying the rarity slash like gambling aspect of the profile pictures but you're buying legit art in the same sense so like each series like say the fidenzas there's 999 of them they have different traits and certain traits are very rare and like you know people will covet those traits significantly more than like a floor so it still has the same profile picture rarity slash aesthetic premium but it also is like legit art that to me is more meaningful to own in some sense. Like you can own a ton of cute penguins and a lot of cute cats, but owning art that like you want to hang in your house, or at least I do, that was algorithmically generated at the time that you minted it using your transaction hash to generate what you got, like to me is awesome. Because uh, the way Snowfro describes it is like you're, an artist yourself as a minter like at the time of mint the place you are at this the nanosecond you are at when that transaction confirms gives you that unique hash and you're a part of the whole process and when he said it like that it made me get really attached to anything i minted versus like what i bought on secondary because i can see in the chain of provenance like i was the person who got this from the smart contract that minted it and i'm attached to those more um yeah, Artblocks has been a wild ride. And I think, yeah, it's P5JS is the 
language most people use. So Dees, I have a bunch of questions about like generative art and, and how art blocks works. Like, so the first is, um, are you saying when you mint it, it's kind of like random what comes out the other side based on some sort of inputs and outputs, but you're sort of like, it's kind of the magic eight ball. You don't know like what is going to pop out. Yeah, it's completely random. So you can look um, normally before a drop, they have a test net mint and you can see you know maybe 50 samples of what the algorithm put out but you don't know what you're gonna get until it is minted like that's it's, wild it's very wild like okay you know when you look at the ringers like oh hey it's gonna be some type of string wrapped around some type of peg but you don't know what formation is gonna come out what colors those pegs are if they're gonna have bullseyes if the background is gonna be a different color and the artists, they weight all of these different things in their code. So they know, but they don't leak it until it's already out that like, oh, hey, if you see that trait, it's really rare because the shot of that coming up is like 1% or 0.1% or something. Wow. Okay. And then obviously there's a cost to mint. Is that a steep cost to mint? Um. So recently they changed the way drops came on the platform. Before they were very cheap. It would be like, point uh squiggles were 0 0.035 eth um and then like another project maybe like 0.1 eth um now it's a dutch auction and it starts high like maybe five or three eth and it goes down every five minutes like a quarter eth interval or something like that so wow. now you really are playing a game of chicken like okay who is can we all work together and get the mint price down or at what point is everybody going to jump in and mint it and that's art um, so it's a lot specifically has moved to a Dutch auction, right? Others are still kind of, you pay whatever. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, like pudgy penguins and those type of things aren't Dutch auction. It's just art blocks. And the thing is, it's smart. At the end of the day, artists are getting a lot more with this model. Um, with the old model, you might spend 0.1 on the mint that goes to the artist. And you might spend another half an Ethereum in gas because you're using a thousand guay or fifteen hundred guay to get a transaction in because everybody's fighting for these mints. So <laughs> Ethereum's got to take its cut. Like, yeah. So the option was like, do we want to figure out a way to get more money into the artists? Like, there's clearly a demand for this, right? Like, we're pricing it too low. Um, so they went to the Dutch auction model, and I honestly I haven't minted much at all since they changed it because um maybe too. Uh, cheap and used to the old model but it's better for the artists and everything is minting out anyway and it's good to see and yeah. i think it raises the floor on all the old projects too because you can't get in at the point one entry anymore like it's not going to happen uh the dutch auctions they seem to mint out by like one eighth i don't think i've seen one go under one eighth it's interesting um, that all of this is still happening on Ethereum in that you've got like, or the bulk of it is happening on Ethereum in that you have layer twos, which could make the minting process cheaper. But is there like when it's minted on Ethereum and it costs a bit more, is there something special about that? Does that lend to the legitimacy of the piece? Absolutely. I think most collectors, when they're spending a thousands of dollars on a piece, like they want it on L1, like they want it not on a side chain. Um, that's the mentality I've got from every big collector I've talked to. Like, I haven't seen anyone who is super excited about like minting an art block on Polygon or minting an art block on Flow or like what that looks like. 
no one cares if it's on like Joe's side chain, right? It's got like the most legitimacy as if it's on Ethereum. Um, so I'm curious about this. So there's a recent, I think this just happened uh, yesterday. Yeah, um, so cool. Yeah, so an art buyer started with a $1,400 art block piece. I don't know if that's um, the minting price or maybe he purchased it, he or she, and sold it for $3.3 million. This is, um, you call this a Fidenza, which is a, a style of art block, one of the most, I think, uh, rare, maybe more, more costly pieces, these. Um, I'm looking at it. It looks awesome. looks super cool. Something you might see in like a modern art museum, like, you know, MoMA or something like that. Uh, $3.3 million though. Why is this thing worth that much in comparison to all the other art block pieces? So... Uh, I can say that this was a second, the first purchase was a secondary sale. They bought it for 0.58 Ethereum, I think, a few, like two months back or something. Um, but I think that it, it's helpful when thinking about NFTs in general um, that, like, think about the most valuable artwork that trades in, in the real world right now or the most valuable trading cards and all that stuff. Uh, and think about how incredibly inefficient those markets are and how the amount of middlemen that are taking up a ton of time and money and effort. And like to me, it just makes logical sense that all of the really high-end things that are going to happen in NFTs are just going to like be orders of magnitude larger than what's happening in like in like the current real real world art markets because it's just it's 24-7, it's completely global. There's no barrier to entry unless obviously you have to have the money to do it. Um, and so I think that all of those things combined, it's creating this really intense, necessarily like land grab for the really high end stuff. And so this piece is considered rare for a Fidenza uh, based on the, the color palette and some of the way that like the line work is done and stuff. Uh, I'm definitely not an expert on what exactly makes a Fidenza rare. Dees could probably say more than I can. I, yeah, I, I'd love to talk about it. Um, this Fidenza in my mind was uh, over overbuy. I, I don't know who bought it. Um, I think they really just fucked with it. Like I, I don't, there's nothing extraordinarily rare about this. It's, um, you know, you could look it up. There's a good website for anyone who wants more info on rarity on art blocks. It's called rarity.guide. And on that site, you can, yeah, I'll just, you pull it up. We'll go through it. Um, if you control F Fidenza, it's like, I think the 78th project, but there's a whole list of every art blocks project. Um, Oh, I got that right. So if you type 313 and search for mint by ID, it'll show you this Fidenza and it'll show you under the picture of the Fidenza, the rarest traits it has and the floor for those traits. Um, I don't know why it's not loading for you. I'm looking at it on my screen right now. The, the rarest trait for it is the medium um, scale, which is just like the size of the strips are this medium size, but there's still... 35 out of the 99 Fidenzas have this. So it's not the most extremely rare thing. And the floor for it, you can see is what, 499 ETH. Um, so I think the person who bought it just really, really liked this aesthetic of how it looked. Like I, I was talking to Ice Bags about it. Like we're, you know, pretty into Fidenzas and talking about what we think these, where these are going. And we saw this buy and we're like, what the hell? Like I... I couldn't really justify like why they spent a thousand ETH on it being completely honest outside of just like, they really like the aesthetic of it. Um, but that has to be important too, right? So it's not only sort of the, the rarity of it, but it's how th these various rare features kind of pull together 
and create an aesthetic that an individual human mind values. Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing too with Artbox, right? It's a art, not a science. So you can't just be like, oh, it's not that rare. Look at the stats. Somebody likes it and they like the composition of all those traits. They're going to pay whatever premium to get it in their wallet. You know, what's crazy about this is like with these smart contract art pieces, it feels to me like the next Picasso could be a robot. Do you know what I mean? It's maybe not even a human being. Maybe it's just an algorithm that's going to produce our art. And that's, uh, that's weird for you guys are probably already there, but that's weird for me to contemplate. Well, this also fundamentally changes the relationship between like the human and the artist, right? So like to, to produce an art block, if, if the art block format, even maybe it's not the art block platform, but the generative art format, if that is the future of like digital art and specifically NFT enabled digital art, like the artist has to be able to code or there has to be a coder maybe in tandem with an artist, but there's somebody who can code regardless because you got to get somebody who can understand the algorithm in order to like, you know, uh, leverage that code to make a bunch of like, you know, randomly generated art. Um, I, I think I want to add a little bit of, of color here with, with, with why Artblocks I think was so successful. Uh, and we know in the gaming world that like the loot box model is really, really enticing to players. And this kind of feels like that, right? Like you submit a transaction, your unique at a transaction with a specific transaction hash is what generates the randomness input into the art blocks randomly generated art. And then that produces a piece of art. And so like with, we all, humans love to gamble. We are gamblers who at, at, at heart and like having this sort of like randomness, like, hey, like you might, you might get, you might strike gold or you might get nothing. Like that is really, really enticing to people. And so this, and and so like the the randomness part of it with your own human input, where you're like you actually might get something really really rare back, I think is really really enticing as a, a kind of like turning this into a game. And all humans also love games. And uh, the, one of the ways I've tried to to wrap my head around this is I was I was talking to a friend in, in Discord about like trying to wrap my head about why certain crony squiggles were so incredibly valuable and and others weren't. Is that like there are apparently some chromie squiggles are a perfect spectrum, as in the last color of the end of the spectrum is also the same color as the very first part of the spectrum. And then apparently there's a website based on like finding chromie squiggles that are perfect spectrums. And I'm, I'm reminded of like, I have some, some old friends from, from uh, middle school and high school that are big, big baseball fans. Sometimes like when I listen to them talk about baseball, they're not talking about like what's going on in the field. They're talking about numbers. And baseball to them is just like this sticky, sticky ball hitty game, which is overlaid like this massive, like, like complex rabbit hole of numbers, right? Like what is this, this one particular baseball player's like batting average when the infield is shifted right, right? And like, because there's such a richness in numbers and richness in like, you know, things to pay attention to, that sort of like kickstarts this game of like mimetic desire and just like things to contemplate and discuss about. And so like to some degree, it doesn't even matter what the image is. If there's like a lot of cool things to talk about that, that goes behind actually producing that image, then all of a sudden like humans really, really want it. How do you guys feel about that like perspective? I think, I think it makes sense in so much as it's, it's a lot of fun to really get into the weeds and try to figure out what looks good. Um, but I do also think to a certain extent, like with art blocks, that the aesthetics do matter. I mean, obviously it's, it's like uh, everyone has their own personal preference, but I tend to agree with a lot of the kind of 
floor-based rankings of our block security projects and how much they're worth. Um, like I think that Fidenzos are really cool, probably the coolest looking art blocks. And they are, as of right now, the most valuable in like floor market cap. So it's probably like a bit of a combination of both, but I, I do think that the ability of people to like really dig into numbers and, and feel like they're they're finding an edge or something is super valuable. It was wild too. Like you mentioned the perfect spectrums and um, we talked to Von Mises in a Twitter space last week, but he was one of the people who like when squiggles came out very early before perfect spectrum and full spectrum wasn't always a trait in squiggles. Um, that's a fairly new addition to like the open C rarity list. And Vaughn had known like back in December that these perfect spectrums were a thing and he was hunting them and he was putting like small, but like slightly over the floor bids on perfect spectrums to like not trigger anybody into guessing like, why is he offering so much? And I think he bought like two of them, like for like, you know, 0.1 ETH. <laughs> and he just sold one recently for like 250 ETH. But it's like, he was out in the weeds with a spreadsheet of all the squiggles, knowing which one was a perfect spectrum way before like the overall community even know. So it's interesting where you can have this edge, like you said, where if you get really in the weeds and you're looking at this from a unique angle, if you can show that unique angle to the group of collectors and kind of make it a common knowledge thing, then the upside in that is insane. Geez, I'm, I'm curious, do people come to you guys, like you as an expert in this space and like ask you to go help them go figure this out? Because yeah, what you've developed common. is like a you know, particular set of skills, right? And um, a lot of, I mean, it, it takes training to get to, to your level on this. So it, I mean, are people coming soliciting and be like, D's just come, you know, buy the best NFTs uh, for me and I'll give you a cut, something like that. Yeah, so I haven't taken any cuts. I probably should have. Um, I, I mostly just give like free, not financial advice um, is what I call it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do get a lot of questions. I try to point people into buying what they like. Like I'll give them the link to the attribute list of punks. And I'll ask them like, what are your favorite traits? Like some people really like certain traits and some people don't. And it's like, I don't want to tell you what I think the best value is because what the best value to my personal aesthetic is might not be yours. So it's like trying to get them to answer the question themselves and then helping them from there is kind of the way I look at it. That's it funny. Like That's how like, therapy works. Yeah. It also feels Maybe like I'm a therapist like, with the Twitter space. NFT therapist. NFT. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I think there's an NFT therapist DAO that could be created based on this. Just like, I mean, a bunch of people like you guys who know, this space and where others come and like help us pick the NFT that we want to buy. But anyway, there's so much, so much innovation here. Guys, there's a few more points of conversation that I want to get to just as we round out this conversation. And thank you guys so much for your time. Uh, like we said at the beginning, this was a, a little bit of an impromptu state of the nation because, you know, the crypto markets move and point in different directions. We got to be ready for it. I want to uh, just touch on one of ones. Uh, because it's it's definitely a relevant conversation to, to be had. How is the the one of one NFT game different from the other topics that we've been talking about with like the profile picture NFTs or the generative art NFTs? Um, if people are are interested in dabbling in the one of one game, what should they know and and what should they be prepared for? And how it's different from the previous conversations we've Can had? Can you also explain what a one of one is for some of us? Yeah, so uh, when we say something like one-of-one one art, we mean something an artist minted that is a one-of-one. One. It's not a 
collection per se. It's just a unique piece from the artist's vision in one NFT. Um, that's kind of how I look at it. But getting started with one of ones is a tough thing. Um, it depends really on your capital and your goals. I think there's two types of one-on-one collectors I know. There are the people who are trying to do the land grab strategy on the very early stuff, whether that's Xcopy, Coldy, Hackatow. You have me, I'm a you know killer acid whale. I, I love killer acids work. And like when I buy it, I don't even think I'll ever sell it. But if it becomes worth something later on, I'm happy to do it. But um, you have these older OG artists that people try to land grab. And then you have newer artists who might be big outside of NFTs or not. And they come in and they're either on super rare foundation. Uh, I, I don't buy anything on Nifty Gateway myself, but others do. And the newer artists, you're really just betting on like, in my mind, you're betting on the person. Like I, I buy art from like the people I like um, after talking to them. One thing about this space is you get a lot of access to all the creators. So in the one of one space in particular, like I really encourage people to reach out and talk to these creators. They're super nice. They're super into the community. Like I don't think I've ever really had a bad uh, discussion with like an artist in the space. Or if I have, it was like very short lived and like I forgot about it. Um, but it's like just bet uh, for me when I buy NFTs, I'm buying it because I like it and I'm betting on the person. And that's how I approach all my one on ones. It's like the piece is great. I'll display it in a virtual gallery or my house. And I love the person who created it. Andy, you want to add anything to that? I mean, yeah, I think that was pretty good. The one thing I was going to mention was that this, what you said about there being two different types of kind of one of one collectors, uh, which is very interesting to me, but there's, you know, I, I think probably the most prominent is Xcopy is kind of like the, the super OG one of one art creator. Um, but yeah, I think what's kind of nice about it is it really can be as accessible as you, as you want it to be as far as price points and stuff goes, there's tons of really great art that's being sold on foundation and super rare that's less than an Ethereum and you can get in and find something cool. Um, and you have a lot of agency at that point to help spread awareness of these people and try to make them, uh, you know, more famous if that's something you desire to do, or there's kind of these more, it's like X copy as a one of one artist is not going anywhere. They're going to be a, a prominent crypto artist for as long as crypto art is popular in my opinion. And then the question is really how, how do those compete against stuff like art blocks and crypto punks? And what is that, you know, in 10 years, what's more valuable, a rare CryptoPunk or a one-of-one X copy? Uh, and maybe as, you know, as time goes on and NFT art becomes the predominant way to collect art or one of the predominant ways in more popular culture, well, people who feel more comfortable coming in and analyzing these different uh one of one pieces will be more comfortable spending eight figures on on a piece of one of one art or nine figures, but right now it seems like people aren't quite ready for that. Um, which kind of it makes sense to me because it is so much harder to compare to other things. Uh, so so it, it to me sometimes feels like a little bit riskier because you don't have quite the community around it where you can say with CryptoPunks, look, there's three thousand people who all own these who are passionate about them. Uh, it, it's a lot harder to do that with a with one of one art. Yeah, there's certain creators who have these like thriving Discord communities too. Um, Xcopy has a big one. Uh, Justin Aversano and his Twin Flames collection, that's a massive Discord. 
And if you can find those communities, like before they really take off, there is a lot of upside there. And you can also go in those communities to talk to other collectors about other people's work. And they're all like generally really helpful. Um, so I would say like, you know, don't be afraid to get involved too and just jump in. Like you don't need to buy something immediately. You can just go in the discord, talk to the artists, talk to the community and see like, do I see this being here long-term? Do I want to build with them? I'm a big fan of giving up my Twitter spaces platform to artists I like, or like artists who are doing something unique that I think needs spotlight on them. Um, so that's kind of like what Andy said about helping build the community and help grow these artists. I take a really small bet on an artist after talking to them. And I'm like, hey, I want to like put you on a stage and give up my platform. You can talk to 50 to 350 people, depending on how many people join and just kind of show the world like you're a person, you're a creator, you're just here vibing with the rest of us. And I, I think there's a lot of success behind that. Like I've seen a lot of artists come on a space, share their story for two to five hours and like sell out everything they have listed um, because the people in the audience connect so much with them. I mean, it would only make so much sense that since we are moving into a digital world and everything is kind of getting digitized, that so does individual artists. So like, you know, we got, we got painters and drawers and uh, graphic designers in the in the legacy world putting things that go up on walls and, and now that we have nfts we can have digital art of the same format of the same style but now it's an nft and the the art actually exists on your computer so to me it's like a, a natural progression of the, the nature of art i also want to ask about uh on a completely different note the the role of on-chain nfts because if you dive in down the rabbit hole of nfts you realize that like most of these images that these nfts represent aren't on Ethereum. They're on a database somewhere, on a centralized database, which is kind of the thing that we're trying to destroy with Ethereum in the first place. Uh, and so what do you guys see as the role of on-chain NFTs? Because there's not that many of them. Uh, there's like autoglyphs. And then also recently, CryptoPunks have had their images actually de deployed to the Ethereum blockchain, meaning that CryptoPunks are now on-chain, like totally trustless NFTs. And uh, so, so what do you guys, uh, what's your guys' takes on like on-chain NFTs and, and how does this story kind of expand and, and progress into the future? Yeah, so this has been something that's like a, been a growing discussion point uh, over the last couple of months, I think. Uh, autoglyphs were kind of some of the first to do it. I, I don't feel confident. I don't think they were exactly the first. I do think there were some projects that had on-chain stuff prior. I actually think Mooncats might've been one of the first ones, if I remember correctly. Um, what's interesting about it is it's kind of very much so constantly evolving. And so one of the new things people are doing is storing SVG data on-chain so that it can be rendered off-chain, but all the data is on-chain. Um, and, you know, it, there's some things where it just like really isn't feasible. If you have some crazy MP 800K, yeah, or yeah, or music. Well, there actually is music that's fully on chain. Uh, Euler Beats has that. And I think some others as well. Uh, I think Unigrids, which is one of the Artblocks projects, because Artblocks are all, well, so Artblocks are interesting because the code to generate them is on chain. So as long as you know the data that was given to generate it, you can always recreate the, the piece. So the art itself isn't explicitly on-chain, but it's reproducible based on the on-chain data. Um, but when you have some crazy artwork or something that might just be too costly or not really make sense to be on-chain, uh, I don't really fault them for using IPFS or whatever else. I've seen a lot of people using Rweave to, uh, to back that up even more so. I think it's really cool. I know uh, Manifold, who is like a, a big company working with artists and creators to get their own 
smart contracts for NFTs. They've made a lot of headway in that space and they've done a really great job and they've been kind of visionaries in some of the SVG stuff that they've been doing. I really liked what they did with like the Sacramento Kings, actually the basketball team where they, uh, the artwork is all on chain in an SVG and it updates automatically based on who the owner is and some other information that they can go in and update or change, which is really, really cool. And so I think we'll, we'll continue to see people push the boundaries of what we can do with on-chain artwork where it looks different based on who holds it or it looks different based on how long you hold it and all these different types of things, which I think is awesome. And it'll be really, really exciting cool. to see. Cool. I would He's, say, yeah. piggybacking off what Andy said, um, this is probably my weakest point or like my biggest knowledge gap in the NFT space is like, I'm not super in the weeds with like ipfs are we how things are stored um i know you know autoglyphs are significant for their historical being the first i, I thought they were the first 100 percent on chain project but um yeah i i am like i don't really uh I, I should think about this more than i do let me put it that way it's funny. I, I think I just heard Peter from the Geth team. His head has exploded with like the fact that we're storing NFTs uh, on chain, <laughs> <laughs> like a state expansion perspective of Ethereum. But I mean, at the end of the day, this is um, this is block space that the market pays for. Um, as as we start to close out, guys, I'm I'm curious. Like getting into, we've covered so much, and I feel like I have a a better perspective on how to dive into the NFT space after this conversation. But um, give us kind of the, the quick highlights. Say somebody DMs you and is like, yo, got to check out this new NFT project, right? Uh, it's fresh. You've never heard of it. How would you evaluate it? Like what tools would you use? What are the first things that you check to vet this thing out? Feel free to drop any tools and, and resources to us uh, as, uh, as, you, as you talk through an answer. So Andy, your take first. Yo, I got this NFT project. It's dope. You got to check it out. How are you checking it out? Yeah, honestly, I don't really use, I guess it depends. If the, if the project is already live and like out there and there's just available to be bought on OpenSea, I'll go and look there. I'll look at the smart contract code on Etherscan. Is it their own custom smart contract? Is it just the OpenSea storefront contract? I think you can kind of tell a lot based on that. Is it some just other contract that they copy and pasted? How are they storing the data? Uh, and then- is it, is it more interesting to you if it's their own unique contract rather than somebody that they borrowed from? Yeah, well then, then it just, to me, I think it's really, really hard to know if you if time kind of feels of the essence. You're like, I wanna make sure I get this thing because there's a chance it blows up. Uh, it's one of the easiest ways to see how much effort they've put in person, like in my opinion, is did they clearly write their own code and, you know, do they actively tweet from their Twitter account? And is there Discord? Are there a lot of people having conversations in there? Uh, that to me is all really valuable just to kind of see, are they putting in effort? Was this something that they couldn't have done in one night? They had to have spent a little more time to garner some community and some excitement and the technical chops to do this. And they have their own website. It's not just like some random thing. Uh, that That's the kind of stuff I mostly look for more so. And then like, as I said, I really, at this point, only buy stuff that I think looks interesting. There, I've seen stuff where I think, yeah, it's probably going to go up, but I don't really, you know, I'd rather place bets on things I feel more confident about because then in times where things aren't doing so well, I'm not just going to have paper hands and, and sell it. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's generally how I go about doing it. It's mostly 
kind of as we were saying earlier, just more based on like the the vibes and and the mimetic power of it than anything else. These yeah, tell us a couple of things. You, yeah, tell us how do you evaluate these vibes? <laughs> so there's like two scenarios, right? Someone sends you it before it's minted and after it's minted. Um, before it's minted, like Andy said, you don't really have much to go off of. You go in the Discord, you look at their Twitter. For me, I follow like 2,400 people and it's kind of a red flag if like only one or two of them are following a new project because in my mind, like even when I see something early before it mints, like for example, uh, I don't know if it's pronounced Oni or On One Force, but they're these like anime gorillas type vibe uh, NFTs that came out. I went and looked at them and I thought to myself, like, I don't personally like these, but I see that they're going to do well. And I had like over a hundred mutual followers on their account before they launched. And I was like, oh, this is probably like a good project, but I didn't mint them because I didn't like them. And, you know, now they're floor 70. So there's a lesson there where like, I could have just followed the herd and saw that, Hey, I have all these mutual followers. Like this is probably going to be a good move. But for me, I don't, I should look at the contract stuff more like Andy's spot on with like, did they take the time to write their own contract? Like they're going to, most of these projects are pulling in over a million dollars from mint fees. Like if they couldn't take the time to write their own contract for that, that's a pretty big red flag. Um, and then the other scenario is after something comes out, right? I'm a big fan of like going to rarity.tools, looking at all the attributes in a cleaner list than OpenSea, and then kind of forming like my own ideas around what traits I like. I'm not the guy who comes in and like sweeps a floor, but if I really like the project and I'm looking after, after it minted on rarity tools, I'm looking at like, you know, what are the crowns? What are the 3d glasses? I, I always buy 3d glasses, hoodies, and pipes. Like you could make any generative project. And if you have a hoodie 3d pipe, I'm like buying those up because in my mind, it's like, oh, that's on brand and I need those. And that's just like um, sticking power because CryptoPunks, like that's, those were kind of the first attributes that ever got some sort of premium to them. And you're just saying like, well, if CryptoPunk premiums had those, well then other NFT projects will have those too? Um, I don't even look at it like that more so than like, I just want to have my same vibe or aesthetic across every project. So like, Oh, that's um, funny. I'm always looking for hats. <laughs> I'm always looking for yeah, baseball like, caps. <laughs> I, I went into Wicked Craniums and, you know, they didn't have a lot of overlap with um, punk attributes, but they did have 3D glasses and they have a skin color that's psychedelic. And like, to me, most of my one-on-one collection outside of the photography and most of what I like is this like trippy psychedelic, like killer acid vibe. So I was like, okay, well, I can't get hoodies or pipes here, but like I'm stocking up on these psychedelic skins because that's my vibe or like I went into cool cats and I got a hoodie with like a rainbow unicorn hat because he looked ridiculous it was like he's wearing a hoodie and he's trippy with his little rainbow unicorn hat and it fits my vibe so like that's kind of how I buy the different projects even if they don't have overlapping traits this is super cool guys um maybe one last question for you um how but put on your speculators hat how much longer do you think this nft mania that we're in will continue and like what happens next d's your take first i am <laughs> i don't know i i thought um back so my whole thesis with this has been revolving around like what happened with the dog memes back in the spring 
and how I didn't make a single dollar on any single Doge related shitcoin. And I thought to myself the whole time, like, this is going to collapse. Like, Doge is seven cents. Like, there's no way this goes to 25 cents. Like, this is done. And I learned a valuable lesson. It's like, you know, the market can stay irrational much longer than you think. And it's better to just like ride the wave and manage your risk on the way up. I don't know when this will end. Like my gut tells me it can't go on for another month, but like, that's just probably not true. Like if it ends the floor, if you tell me it's 500 in a month, like I'm not even gonna be shocked, even though like it was two ETH when I was buying them a month or two ago. Um, And I think the way it looks is like people will not, into all the new avatar projects like you're going to have a bunch of stuff that comes out people don't mint it it sits there um and that risk capital dries out because they can't get liquidity on their old projects that they minted to mint the new stuff um i think that's kind of how it spirals out where like you know there's just no liquidity to get out of the shit they have and they can't ape into new shit and there's not new people coming in with new capital to ape the new shit Andy, what's your take? We got a month. We have more. What do you think? You know, I, I don't know as far as timelines go. I have personally had conversations with a lot of people who have a lot of money who are still trying to figure out what they do with that about NFTs uh, and how they appropriately allocate into those and what that looks like. We've seen a lot of venture capital money flowing into NFTs, a lot of um, hedge fund money flowing into NFTs. And so I, I don't know what their timelines are and what those what that looks like, but I like I just don't think those people are going to be buying the top. Maybe they'll be buying the top of this cycle, but not the top of the next two cycles. Um, I think they're too smart, and so maybe they're all ready to buy, and or they already have. Maybe they're buying next week, and that's going to be the end of this hype cycle. Um, but. I think that if you have like a time horizon that's longer than a year or two, you'll probably be okay. Because uh, there's just too many smart people who are buying things right now who that are that literally have no intention of selling. Like they, that's just not a part of this for them. Um, and so I think that we'll probably just totally guessing have a few more months of of real craziness, and like things will get really really insane. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw some floors that really made people's jaws drop. Um, but then I, I think where the, the real the way that this bears fruit is in a couple of years, when you look back and think about the ridiculous prices that you got, because now every NFL player has a crypto punk or wants one and they can't, they can't all get them because there just aren't enough. And like, that's kind of the real end game. It's There's not a lot just of football like players some out hedge there. funds. Yeah. With a lot of money, what, what's what's crazy to me is this feels like NFTs feel like a super weapon for propagating crypto culture to the masses. It just has all of the ingredients. It checks all of the boxes from a mimetic desire perspective. And the unique thing I think about NFTs is all denominated in ETH, right? This is ETH as money used as a store of value, unit of account, and medium of exchange in the NFT economy. Uh, Andy, D's. Thank you so much for guiding us through NFTs. I've learned so much. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, thank you. It's a good way to break up the day. And like, I, I just love talking about NFTs in general. So anytime you guys want to talk NFTs, hit me up. Deez, is, you, where, awesome. When's your uh, next uh, Twitter spaces NFT? Do you have the one on the menu at all? I mean, I'll probably host on it like the pool while I'm drinking with ice bags tonight at some point. Like, 
Uh, we literally had one going. We're on his back porch. I have my phone open. I have one AirPod in, super quiet. And I'm just like giving two people co-host and letting it run for like six hours. And then like, if I hear my name coming through the AirPod, I like jack the volume up. I'm like, yo guys, what's up? And then like hop in. Um, it's like, it's a really laid back vibe. I'm sure I'll have one open today. Could we, uh, could you guys drop your Twitter handle so folks can follow you and um, get tuned into that? So Dees, what's your Twitter? Yeah, my Twitter is at DeesFi. It's like a play on DeFi I made last year. Um, but yeah, it's Dees, D-E-E-Z-E-F-I. How about you, Andy? I am Andy8052 everywhere. Uh, so at Andy8052. There you go. Follow these guys for more information on NFTs and to get plugged into that scene. I took a few notes here for action items for you. Kind of the 101 tips. I hope this might be useful for you. But one thing we talked about was hunting for NFTs in groups using Twitter, Discord. That's tip number one. Don't number go two, alone. Buy. Take a friend. Don't go alone. Uh, number two, buy in pairs. One for you, one to sell. I have a feeling these guys buy in, in more than twos. So maybe you scale that up to five or tens, depending on your risk appetite. Look at ta tastemakers. So view their wallets. Uh, and check out what they're buying. Maybe become a tastemaker. That's kind of the, the, the 401 level course. Also search for legitimacy, history, lineage, uh, credibility, what chain you purchase it on matters. And finally, we talked a lot about buying what you like. You have to be okay if you are stuck with the NFT that you bought for the long run. Those are fantastic tips for you as we close this out in summary. Of course, guys, risks and disclaimers. ETH is risky, NFTs are risky. We might be in a mania. We have no idea where that is headed or for how long. All of this stuff is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Yeah.